Well, good morning, RBC family. Welcome to our second live stream. We're happy that you're all here joining us. It is good to be able to welcome you again. Thank you for choosing to worship the Lord with us this morning uh, here at Rancho Baptist Church. Uh, I want to encourage you to flip through the bulletin and see, but you just don't have one right now, so I'm, I'm sorry about that. But I, I do want to encourage you, if you're, if you're using our website, you may see that there's a little uh, drop down there now. You can access notes uh, and be able to keep up as Pastor Jason brings a word to us this morning. Um, we are uh, just excited about what the Lord has been doing in the midst of these last couple weeks. And uh, I know it's been kind of a crazy time in our world, and yet the Lord has uh, given us so many different opportunities to be able to connect. And so I want to encourage you uh, also, make sure you're, you're checking the website. We've established a, a, a tab on the website called RBC at Home. Uh, Pastor Jason is getting videos uploaded uh, probably about three times a week right now. Uh, fireside chats. He's walking through Psalm 23 with us. It's been a real encouragement. Also on there, you can find community groups that are meeting, as well as some other uh, youth groups and, and young adults and ladies' Bible studies or ladies' devotions. And, and so we're, we're just thankful to be able to connect with one another. And so, uh, again, thank you for choosing to join us here at Rancho Baptist Church. And we are excited as Pastor Jason's going to bring the word to us this morning. So here you are, Pastor Jason. Thank you, Pastor Eric. And good morning to our RBC family and anyone else that might be joining us this morning. Has this not been a, a crazy week for us all? Totally different as I look out, standing at the church, and none of you are here, and yet many, many of you are, are now joining us virtually. So, so praise the Lord for the opportunity that we do have this morning to gather together, even though we're doing it virtually. With all that has been going on, I would, I would like first and, and foremost now to to start our time off in prayer. There, there are so many things that, that we can be praying for and also rejoicing in. As I, as I went to a couple different stores to Costco this, this week, and as I looked online and as I saw news, different feeds going on, I, I could see so many doctors and nurses and firemen and, and so many people putting their lives on the line for us. So I just want to spend some time in prayer over the coronavirus, over our whole body, those who are involved that are putting themselves at risk, that the Lord would just guard them, protect them, and guide us this morning as we come to his word. So, so let me open our time in prayer this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we stop and, and we are so thankful that we can gather together this morning. As the technological advancements of the internet and in such cases as, as Zoom and, and what have you enable us to, to gather together virtually, Lord. And I just want to lift up all those folks that, that are serving so many people these days and, and on the front lines. Those that are, that are in the, the hospitals, doctors and nurses those that are in stores and in every other avenue, Lord, I ask that you would protect them, that you would guard them. I, I ask in particular, too, for, for all the pregnant mamas out there that, that no doubt are, are wondering about how their delivery is going to go and, and, and what life is going to be like for the first couple of weeks of their little baby. I, I think of those that have recently had 
little ones among our body, and I ask that you would be with them, that you would be with those precious little babies, that you would keep them safe, that you would strengthen them, that you would guard them, Lord. And now as we turn to your word and as we are going to spend time in your word, Lord, I ask for your help, that you would allow us this morning to truly see you as we ought to see you. And that you would allow your Holy Spirit to to guide our time this morning as only he can. And that you would use your word powerfully in all of our lives this morning. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. So as I've been thinking about how things are going, I've been really thankful. And and perhaps you have as well. I've I've been thankful for our government and what our government is doing in order to to look after, to protect us all, and to try to keep this virus from spreading. And what they have been doing is they've been looking after our physical well-being, have they not? And they've set up guidelines for us, and actually more than guidelines, they've set down orders, and they've they've required us to, to stay home except for when we need to go out and get those essential items. And they've also told us and we're still aware of this, that right now we should be washing our hands longer than we've ever washed our hands or even been cognizant of it before in the past. They've told us that when we do go out in public and that when we do spend time with other people, that we should keep a a six-foot distance from us and them in order to protect ourselves from this virus. They've they've told us as well that that if someone that we know or, or ourselves get this virus, that we should quarantine ourselves. And these are all helpful. And I, and I trust that each one of us are doing just those things. Why? Because we want to protect ourselves and we want to protect others. But, but I wonder in all of this, as our physical well-being is, is being protected so much, if there's something that we're missing, and, and what we might be missing is this, our spiritual well-being. How, how is that going? Honestly, this morning, as we gather, let, let me ask you, how are you doing spiritually? What, what does your spiritual walk with the Lord look like this morning? Are you discouraged? Are, are you anxious? Are you nervous? Or, or maybe it's even more, maybe you're just plain scared. You're scared over what will happen today, tomorrow, the next day. And unlike any other time where generally when somebody is going through a difficulty, it's it's something that we're not all going through at the same time. It's something that, that that is not common to us all, but right now with where the Lord has us, with COVID-19, this is something that, that we're, we are all a part of. And the degree to which we are involved in that is different. I'm not going to say that we're all going through the exact same thing right now as far as the results of the coronavirus, but we are all being challenged. We're all involved in this. And and to a certain extent, we can say we're all going through the same trial. And in fact, the whole world is going through the same trial. And, And my question for us this morning, is, is how do we worship God in the midst of our trials, in the midst of this present trial that we're, that we're going through? 
I didn't plan on, on continuing on the worship series that we started over a month ago. I was planning on stopping that, but the Lord kept bringing me back to this. And I believe that, that this is where he wants us to go this morning. This, this is what he desires for us to understand. He wants us to, to manhandle this question. How do I worship God in the midst of this trial? How do I keep my mind focused where it should be? And what I'd like to think about this morning is, how do we think, particularly, how do we think about God in the midst of our trials? In the midst of where we are this morning, what would be a God perspective, a God-centered perspective for us this morning in regards to worship in trials? I want God's word to help us this morning, to, to build a, a platform, so to speak, that, that we can go to, that we can stand up on. And that we can see him and that we could truly worship him in the midst of trials like we are going on and through right now. And for me personally, this, this framework, this view of, of worshiping God in, in trials, it, it all boils down and points to really to one thing. There, there's, there's just one backdrop or, or canvas Or, or should I say there's just one stone that, that when laid correctly and properly understood can help us to not only understand what God is doing, but to worship him in the midst of the trial that we are going through. And as we serve the Lord for so many years in, in Papua New Guinea, this one stone, this one bedrock that we stood upon time and time and time again that helped us get through times when our kids had malaria, when there were things happening in the village that looked like we might have to leave before the work was completed. That the one capstone, the one cornerstone that we stood upon besides the Lord Jesus Christ was the fact that God is sovereign. That God is sovereign. Not, not just some platitude, not just some verse that you turn to every now and again, but know the reality that God is sovereign. And when I say God is sovereign, what, what, what does that mean to you? How would you define the sovereignty of God? If you were to get out an, a dictionary, let, let's say the Oxford Dictionary, you would find there that, that the way that Oxford Dictionary Define sovereignty as supreme authority. Another dictionary would, would define it as supreme power. Some would say absolute rule. And I believe all those are good definitions, but they don't help us very much to get through the practical problems that we run into or the trial that we are facing right now. Okay, yes, I understand. God is absolute in his authority. But, but Pastor Jason, I need help getting through this day. So is, is the sovereignty of God really that important? And I would say yes, and, and I'm not alone. R.C. Sproul would, would say it like this, and I quote, The sovereignty of God is not a secondary doctrine that is relegated to an obscure corner in the Bible. Rather, this truth is the very bedrock doctrine of all Scripture. This is the Mount Everest 
of biblical teaching, the towering truth that transcends all theology. From its opening verse, the Bible asserts in no uncertain terms that God is and that God reigns. That would be a good definition of sovereignty. God is and God reigns. In other words, he is God, not merely in name, but in full reality. God does as he pleases, when he pleases, where he pleases, how he pleases, and with whom he pleases in saving undeserving sinners. All other doctrines of the Christian faith must be brought into alignment with this keystone truth, end quote. This morning, I would, I would like to frame a definition for sovereignty that it's going to sound very simplistic, very simple to you. It's only four words, and yet I believe this is something that, that you can remember, that, that you can pull out of your back pocket, so to speak, and remind yourself of. And, and that definition is this, God is in control. God is in control. You're going to hear me say that a lot this morning. Why? Because you need to hear this and because I need to hear this. And we need to be reminded that our God is in control. Not Satan. Not the president of the United States. Not, not the virus. You know, I've heard all sorts of, of different angles on, on what is happening right now. Some, some take a look at what is happening right now, and, and they point to eschatology, the end times, and they say, oh, this is the end beginning, beginning right now. This is Satan having his way, and they ascribe everything that is happening to Satan. And yet, I'm sorry, as you look at the book of Revelation, do you know who the main character is in the book of Revelation? Do you know who is doing everything in the book of Revelation? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not Satan. Now, Satan can use something like the coronavirus towards his end, but even there, he is limited on what God allows him to do. And while I want to say that the coronavirus is a terrible, evil, bad thing, and I don't want to limit the coronavirus, coronavirus did not bring about the, the first death. Death is a, a result of sin going back to the Garden of Eden. And so what we see with the coronavirus is, is really just a, a ramping up of, of death. A bit of an acceleration of death. Not that, not that it is in control of everyone. No, what we see from Scripture and what we will see from Scripture this morning is that God is in control. Period. End. Now, I wouldn't be surprised that as I say that this morning, that some of you might be going, well, what, what are you talking about, Pastor Jason? I, I don't understand how the coronavirus has anything to do with worship. And yet what I would say is that the coronavirus and what is going on right now and the fact that God is indeed sovereign and in control of all things has everything to do with because God is in control right now, and he is going to use this, and he is going to accomplish his purpose and his will even through the coronavirus. And that is what we are going to see this morning. So turn with me, if, if you have your Bibles, or if you have some sort of app, 
Turn with me to a, a passage of scripture that you probably wouldn't think I was going to go to. We're going to go to the Old Testament this morning, and we're going to go to the book of Isaiah. And we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 to 11, which I believe is one of these anchor verses. That These are verses that, that if you don't have a highlighter, go get one and, and, and highlight this verse. Write this ver these verses upon your hearts, engrave them on your mind so that you can come back to this and you can remember what the Lord is saying to his chosen nation, Israel, and what the Lord is saying to you and to myself this morning. Hear the word of God this morning and, and take encouragement and comfort and how awesome our wonderful God is. And how nothing takes him by surprise and how he is in control. This is what God has to say. In the first person, he is speaking to the nation of Israel. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 46, 9 to 11. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Again, this is an anchor verse that we can anchor our souls to because it describes for us just how great our God is and how he is in control of all things. But to truly understand this verse and, and these three verses here, we, we need to pull back as we've seen time and time again to properly understand God's word. You can't just drop into the into the middle of, of a book somewhere and into the middle of some of its verses and just pull out and grab whatever you want and then leave it. You need to look at the context of what this particular verse is saying as well as what has been said before this. And so in order to do that, we, we need to look at the beginning of Isaiah 46. And if you would turn with me to Isaiah 46, verse 1, we'll see something. Well, honestly, it's very strange, but we'll, we'll see something oh so powerful and oh so strong. Because what the Lord is doing is the Lord is revealing to the nation of Israel that he is their salvation. That he is in control and that he is greater than all other gods. And, and that is what he does right from the start in chapter 46, verse 1, as he says this. Bel has bowed down. Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome, a load for the weary beast. Now, I recognize when, when you just read that out of the blue, it seems to make hardly any sense. And yet the reality is what the Lord is saying is speaking again of his sovereignty, how he is in control of all things and how he is greater than all things. And, and the way that he does this is he starts off and he mentions these two, what looks like two people or, or something. No, what he's mentioning are two gods. He's mentioning two of the greatest Babylonian gods. 
And he's mentioning this some 150 years before the time of Daniel. And what he does is, is he mentions this God Nebo and this God Bel, who are the, the gods of the Babylonians. And, and these gods were so popular to the Babylonians that when it came time to name their children, they literally would, would name their children with, with these names in them. And so as we see the, these names, Nebo and, and Bel, we're reminded of what we see in the book of Daniel. Some 150 years later, a man will become the king of Babylon, and his name is Nebuchadnezzar. And if you will remember, perhaps you've heard the story of Nebuchadnezzar before and what happens to him. He, he was the king of Babylon in its glory days. And as he surveyed his kingdom and, and looks around at the, at the nation of Babylon and this wonderful empire, he looks at it, at how great it is. And his conclusion is, the greatness of this kingdom has everything to do with me, because I am the king, and I rule over all, and all that has happened, and all the grandeur of Babylon has come in and through me because I am sovereign, I am in control. And as he says that, God has a word for him. Actually, God has much more than a word for him. God has an object lesson for him. Because as Nebuchadnezzar says those things, what he is doing is he is dethroning God. He is taking God off of his king's chair. And he is placing himself on that king's chair. And God says, no, no. For seven years, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going you're gonna to become like an animal. And you're going you're gonna to roam the land and, and, and you're going to eat grass like an animal. And your mind is, is going to go from you. And you're going to be like this for seven years in order for Nebuchadnezzar to learn the lesson that God is in control, not Nebuchadnezzar. And if I were to say what, what is one key characteristic, what is the main theme of the book of Daniel, which Isaiah 46 is pointing forward to, that main key theme or characteristic of Daniel is that God is sovereign, that God is in control. And this should be such an encouragement for us this morning. In fact, so much so, let's turn to Daniel. So turn forward in your Bibles. And, and let's look at Daniel, and let's look at Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 to 35, let's see what the end result is in Nebuchadnezzar's life as he is finally brought to the point to where he is humbled. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar has to say about the God of Israel, our God. Verses 34 and 35 in, in Daniel chapter 4. But at the end of that period, he's speaking of those seven years, which is seen in, in verse 33, where it says that he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, 
Nebuchadnezzar recognizes God's kingdom will never end, that he is the one who reigns supreme. That is the lesson that King Nebuchadnezzar learns. And then he says this, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? What does Nebuchadnezzar finally figure out? He figures out that God is in control and he submits to that fact and he humbles himself to God. This is what we need to do. We need to recognize as Nebuchadnezzar recognized that God is indeed in control and praise the Lord that he hasn't caused us to become like Nebuchadnezzar, like a wild animal and roam the fields for seven years to learn this lesson. Perhaps one of the reasons why the coronavirus is happening right now is for us to be pulled back from everything that we're normally in control of and have that loosened from us for us to recognize that God is in control and not us. What's also very interesting about Isaiah 46 is Nebo is not the only king mentioned or only God mentioned. There is another God mentioned in Isaiah 46 called Bel. And King Nebuchadnezzar ends up naming one of his sons from this God's name. And he names him Belshazzar. And Belshazzar rules after King Nebuchadnezzar as another king of Babylon. And King Belshazzar is, is given another object lesson on the fact that God is sovereign, not the kings of Babylon. And if you know the story about, about King Belshazzar, what, what happens with him is he decides to have this, this great big party. And he invites all of his nobles and their wives and all of his concubines. And they have this great party and they're drinking and they're doing this and they're, and they're doing that. And then he comes up with the, honestly, the worst idea that he could have come up with. He decides, you know what? This party isn't good enough yet. I remember that, that my father, King Nebuchadnezzar, he went when, when he conquered the nation of Israel and took some of them captive and brought them back to Babylon. When he did that, he went into the temple of their God, Yahweh, and he took some of, some of these wonderful golden and silver goblets. You know what? I'm going to go get some of those. No, I'm going to send some men to go get those goblets, and I'm going to have them come back. And that's exactly what he did. He had them take some of the, the gold and the silver goblets from the Lord's temple that, that King Nebuchadnezzar never used. And he brings them back to this party, and they, and they fill them with alcohol, with wine, right? And, and then, then they lift up these cups in a toast, but not to the God of Israel. No, they, they lift them up to, in a toast to their own gods. And then at that point, as they are worshiping their own gods and, and, and basically defaming the true God of Israel, then the true God of Israel shows up. And he shows up in a very uncommon, crazy, if not totally scary way. As they are doing the toast, all of a sudden a hand shows up on the back of the wall. And that's all it is, is just the hand. And, and this hand is writing. And as this hand writes, 
Nobody at the party can figure out what it means. And I'm sure everybody stops what they're doing. And King Belshazzar, he looks at it. He doesn't know what it means. So what does he do? He calls in all of his wise men. And the wise men come forward. And they don't know what is written either. Most likely because it's in Aramaic and they couldn't read Aramaic. And at that point, I'm sure that Belshazzar is thinking that he is done. He has no idea what it means, but, he, but he's thinking it must be bad. And his wife steps forward and she says, you know what, king? I remember that there was a man who served your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was a wise man. And I believe that he would be able to interpret what is written on that wall. And so what do they do? They call Daniel to come. And Daniel comes. And what he says to, to King Belshazzar is, is oh so powerful. Turn with me. It's just the next chapter. In Daniel chapter 5, verses 21 to 30. And here we will see how Daniel responds to Belshazzar. 21 to 30. First, he says, he was also driven away from mankind. He's speaking of Belshazzar's dad, Nebuchadnezzar, and what happened to him. And his heart was made like that of beasts. And his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Hey, Belshazzar, the reason why you are the king of Babylon is because God made you that king. And yet, look at what he says in 22. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see, hear or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him and this inscription was written out. So, yes, Daniel knows everything that happened. Because God is telling him. Now this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, mene, tekel, upartsin. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. You thought that you were in control. No, God is in control and your kingdom is now ended. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. You have not humbled yourself like your father. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Someone else is going to come and conquer your very kingdom. Then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. And then look at this. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So, so what is my point in taking us forward to the book of Daniel when we're looking at the book of Isaiah? Because these passages of Scripture, these chapters in Daniel, all point to the same thing that, that the Lord is pointing to in Isaiah 46, that God is in control. And that King Nebuchadnezzar learned that lesson, but his son did not. 
And we this morning, where, where are we at? Have you learned that lesson? Have I learned that lesson? Or, or am I flip-flopping constantly back and forth, back and forth? Turn with me back again to Isaiah 46. And now with that understanding of who God was meaning when he, when he spoke of, of these gods, Bel and Nebo, he's going to now ramp things up even more to show the nation of Israel how great he is and how different, altogether different he is than any other God. This is what he says in verses 2 to 8 in Isaiah 46. They, they stooped over, speaking of these gods, these Babylonian gods. They have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. What he means is at some point, the Babylonians are going to be taken over by the Persians. And when that happens, these gods that are really statues, they're actually going to be carried away by those that worship them. And God is going to use this as a point of contrast to show how much greater he is than those gods. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, verse 3. And all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you. And I will bear you and I will deliver you. The Lord is saying, I am the one that will deliver you. These other gods, they had to be delivered. But you will never have to worry about delivering me because I am in control. And I am the one looking after you. I will be the one who carries you. What an encouragement. And then he goes on further in verse, verses 5 to 8. And he says this, to whom, to whom would you liken me? And make me equal and compare me that we would be alike. That's a rhetorical question. There is no one like you. Those who lavish gold from the, from the purse and weigh silver on the scale, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god, they bow down. Indeed, they worship it. They lift it upon the shoulders and carry it. They set it in its place and, and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Remember and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. What is the implication? What is the Lord saying? The Lord is saying, I am the one who will hear you in your distress. I am the one that if you call to me, if you cry out to me, I will answer. I will deliver you. And all of this comes before verses 9, 10, and 11. And the Lord is, is giving the nation of Israel an understanding of, of how they are to view him in the midst of their trials. Because right here, right now, in the nation of Israel's history, they are in a severe trial, much like ours. You see, they are held in captivity. To the Babylonians, they cannot go wherever they want to go. They cannot go back to the promised land that God had given them, much like you and I this morning. Okay, we're not in a major lockdown or, or martial law, but we are limited in what we can do. So unlike any other time, I believe right now we can relate with the nation of Israel. And we need to hear the message that God had for the nation of Israel. We need to hear that message today. 
and respond the way that God wanted the nation of Israel to respond, trusting him, believing in him, counting him as sovereign. And what he's going to do now in verses 9 to 11 is he is going to give the nation of Israel the how to trust him and worship him in the midst of trials. How do you do this? Yes, we must understand that God is sovereign. And then we see also what we must do. Look at what God says in verse 9. Isaiah 46. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. The first thing that God says is that they are to remember. That this means to recall events or information from the past about someone or what someone did. That this is pointing to the actions of our God. The actions of what the Lord God Almighty did for the nation of Israel way back when. And he wants them to remember. Notice that this isn't optional. This isn't something that's voluntary. Well, maybe I'll do it or maybe I won't. God is commanding them. This is a command. He says, you don't have a choice. If you want to honor me right now in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your trial, if you want to worship me, then what you need to do is you need to remember me. You need to remember what I have done. And what we should be doing right now in the midst of this trial, COVID-19, is, is we should be rehearsing constantly God's faithfulness to us in the past. God's faithfulness to us in the past. This is something that we should be reminding ourselves of over and over again. This morning, my brothers and sisters, can you think of a time when you were down in the dumps and you thought that there was no way for you to possibly get out of it, perhaps you, you were sick and you had no idea when you were going to get better. Perhaps you had lost your job. And on the horizon, you could see nothing. And yet, as you look back, was God still not in control? Did God not still come through? Did God still not show himself faithful time and time again? And I would say, yes, 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 yes. God is faithful. And he wants the Israelites to remember that. And he wants us this morning to remember that and to reflect on that and to rehearse that in our minds and to remind ourselves and to remind others of all that our God has done before and what he will continue to do in the future. No doubt for the nation of Israel, this looked like them remembering what God had promised to Abraham and then fulfilled, what, what God had done through Joseph, what God had done through Moses, saving the nation of Israel. And today we can, we can look back on things that the Lord has done in our lives, and we can know that he will do that again. Why? Because look at the end of verse 9. Because God is not like any of us. He's not like anyone. In fact, he is so far behind, beyond us that we can't even imagine what he's like. And that's why he says this, and there is no one like me. Who else could, by just his very speaking, when he doesn't even have a mouth, that he could speak into existence all things? No one is like our God. 
And as a result of understanding just how great our God is and how far and beyond our God is from us and our little understanding of him, that leads us to worship. Remember what worship is. Worship is an active response to not only what God has done, but to what God has revealed about himself to us. And right here, he is revealing to us that he is above and beyond all others. And as a result, he is so much worthy of our praise. And so during these hard times, these trials that we are facing, not only should we, should we be constantly reminding ourselves of all that God has done in the past, but we should also be reminding ourselves of who our God is. Just as he was revealing that to us at the end of verse 9, he goes on and he reveals more about who he is in verses 10 and 11. And this is why it is so crucial for us at this point in time, when, when we are confined to staying at home and our schedules have, have switched and we might be doing our business online or, or, or what have you, it is so important for us to stay plugged into God's word to stay connected to God's word, to let God's word speak to us and to remind us not only of what God has done in the past, but who God is. And the more that we understand how great God is, the more we can rest assured each night as we lay our head in our pillows that God has this, that he is in control. Look at verses 10 and 11. This is what our God says about himself. Declare. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things which have not been done. Saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Notice all the emphasis there. All the words that are, that are given that emphasize what God is going to do. It's not just that he will do it. Surely he will true, do it. It's not just that what he has spoken, he will bring it to pass. No, truly he will bring it to pass. There is no condition. There's no question about whether or not God is going to do this. He is going to accomplish his purpose, his will. Why? Because he is sovereign. Because he is in control. And he is so much greater than all others, even in reference to time. As he says right from the beginning, declaring the end from the beginning, pointing back in history to the beginning of time. But God has no beginning. He just does that for our sake so that we can actually pin some sort of understanding as to when things began that, that we could look at God's faithfulness. Okay, it goes all the way back to the beginning. No, it actually goes back further because God has no beginning. And he was faithful long before there was a beginning. And he's going to be faithful all the way to the end. And yet he has no end. Do you understand it? No, I don't either. But that's the whole majesty of how great our God is. How wonderful he is. How far and above he is in us. He has no time. He doesn't function in time. For God, past, present, and future are the same. And because of that, the past... And what happened in the past, the present, yes, with the COVID virus right now and the future and the results of the COVID virus, they are all held within God's grip, that he is in control. 
and that this pandemic that we are going through right now has not escaped our wonderful God's purpose and his plan. And what happens in the future with this pandemic will also not be done outside of God's established decree. And then we see this, this this is so challenging to consider the fact that, that this prophecy that the Lord is giving in verse 11 is some 150 years before this man ever shows up. When he speaks of the bird of prey, of this man that he has called for his purpose that will come from a, a far country, he is speaking specifically about one man. And in chapter 45 of, Dan, of Isaiah, the Lord says who this is. And he says his name is Cyrus. And all sorts of liberal scholars come here and they try to attack Isaiah 45 and say, well, this couldn't be King Cyrus because this happened 150 years before it happened and nobody would know his particular name. Well, nobody except God. Why? Because God is above all and in control of all things. So 150 years before King Cyrus, the Persian king, comes. And before he wipes out the Babylonians, and before he comes and, and brings back a remnant from Babylon to the promised land, before he comes, and remember, he is a pagan king that the Lord uses. Before he comes and, and sends Daniel back to the promised land to reconstruct the temple, 150 years before all of that happens, God says that that's exactly what will happen. Why? To give us confidence that the Lord has this and that we can trust in him. As he says, the man of my purpose from a far country, he will come. And so we know that, that who the Lord is speaking of is this King Cyrus. And so what, what we what we see here oh so clearly is that God is in control. And that as we recognize that he is in control, and as we rehearse all that God has done in the past to show his faithfulness to us, and as we remind ourselves and gain a greater understanding of who God is, as he has revealed himself in his word, and this right here in his word, as we do those things, we can then walk through a trial like we are right now and trust him. Trust him fully. Just as the nation of Israel was called upon to trust the Lord even 150 years before this man would come. That's what the Lord is encouraging them to do. Hey, trust me. I have you. I am looking after you. Even though what you're going through right now is difficult and that you would rather not be going through it, that's okay. I am going to use this. And so that, that gives us really what, what we see of, of some sort of battle plan, of how we are to, to look at our trials through a God-centered perspective. A battle plan just as much as our country is, has kind of given a, a game plan to handle the coronavirus. That this would be a, a game plan for, for how to honor and worship the Lord in our trials. But I wonder, too, if, if you need something else. And, and let me close our time this morning thinking through 
the why, the motivation behind honoring the Lord and worshiping him in trials. Why would we do this? And what we see from scripture, and I I could have gone to to more than two passages, but that's all we're going to go through this morning. What, What we see this morning is two reasons why we should go through these trials and as we go through them, worship him. For God's glory and for our good. Turn with me to John chapter 9. And let's see what the Lord Jesus Christ had to say about a man who was born into a trying situation. A man who was born blind. John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. Which says, as he, speaking of Jesus, so as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? You see, that was the way that they interpreted blindness back in that time. They, they thought either it had to be because of the sin of his parents or it had to be because of his own sin. And yet look at how Jesus answers. Verse 3, Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might, de- might be displayed in him. W- what is he getting at? Jesus is saying, the reason why this man was born blind is so that God might be glorified, God might be worshipped through the response of this trial and this difficulty that this man has been faced with. And in particular, through the miraculous intervention of the Lord Jesus Christ upon this man's life and heart and and, and his eyes, restoring his sight to him, giving him sight for the very first time. And that is what we see happen. You see, what the Lord wants to do, why he wants us to honor him, to worship him in the midst of trials, is because that is how we glorify him. That is how we exalt him. That is how we lift his name high. And that is exactly what happens here with this blind man. The Lord comes over and he spits in the the dirt. Perhaps you know this story. He spits in the dirt and then then grabs that dirt and makes it into some sort of mud thing. And then he he goes up to this man and he he puts it on on the guy's eyes. And then he tells him, okay, now go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And is it because the the water in Siloam has this great power that that then he is healed? No, it's because Jesus Christ has the power. And so he goes and he washes and he is healed. And then everybody's coming to him asking him, hey, what happened to you? And what is his answer? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the Pharisees hear about it. And it happens on a Sabbath. So they are all upset. And they come to him and they say, hey, what happened? Who did this? How did he do this? And he says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay, yes, we've heard Jesus. How did he do this? Jesus. And they don't like his answer, so they they call his parents. And And his parents come. And they ask his parents, hey, how did your son receive his sight? And his parents are concerned that if they answer Jesus, 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 they'll be kicked out of the synagogue. And so do you know what they say? They say, well, you ask him. He's old enough. 
And so the Pharisees go back to this man again. And they come to him and they say, hey, we're trying to figure this out. How could this be? How could this man have healed you? And this man's response is epic. His response is, what are you talking about? In the history of mankind, have you ever heard of a man who was born blind receiving his sight? No, it doesn't happen. So how can you ask me how this happened? Obviously, this is God. God was working in and through this man, Jesus. Do you not believe that? And then they get upset with him, and they cast him out of the synagogue. And then Jesus hears about that, and Jesus goes and finds him. And when Jesus goes and finds him, he, he asks him, hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's asking, do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the coming one, in the coming Redeemer that will come and save his people, Israel? Do you believe in the Messiah? And this man responds, well, tell me who he is. And remember, this man had never seen Jesus before. He just knew Jesus' voice, and Jesus looks at him, and, he, and he's like, hey, look at me. I am him. I am he. And you know what this man does then? He worships. He believes in Jesus Christ. He gets saved, and then he worships him. And God receives the glory and the praise. So on one aspect of, of us going through trials, why we should do it, what our motivation should be, it should be to give God glory, ultimately, that he would receive the glory. But there's also something in it for us, so to speak. There's something that has to do with you and I when it comes to trials and what the Lord is accomplishing through, accomplishing through these trials. And we see this in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. Romans chapter 28, chapter 28 to 30. As we see that, that all that we go through, God is allowing us to go through, yes, our trials, yes, our tribulations for a purpose. And that purpose is for us to glorify him, but it's also so that he can do his work in and through us. That he can transform us more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28. So encouraging. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, be, to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And, the, and these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What, what is he speaking of? He's speaking of the process that God is doing in and through us for those of us that have trusted in him as our Savior. He is making us more and more into the image of his Son. And he is using trials. He's using all the things that we go through to work that out so that ultimately, he would be glorified, and that we, in the end, will be glorified with him. Not that we will become like Jesus and that we will become gods, but that we will leave our present condition, our, our sin-stained condition, 
and we will enter into a, a perfect union, a perfect relationship with God. In closing, turn with me to back again to Isaiah 46. Because all of this really is underpinned by one thing. And that is the salvation that God is promising his chosen people, Israel, and that God has given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ in our days. And we see this in, in the end of Isaiah 46, verses 12 and 13. As the Lord says this to the nation of Israel, and we could look at this as him saying this to us in some regards. Listen to me, you stubborn-minded, who are far from righteousness, because we all are. We've all fallen short. We're all sinful. None of us deserve his grace, but he gives it to us anyways. And then he says this, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. And I will grant salvation in Zion and my glory for Israel. What he is saying is that, that in the end, God will bring about the salvation of Israel. He will save Israel. And he's not talking just about from the Babylonians. He's, he's talking about in the future. And, and even today in this church age, God is not done with the nation of Israel. He will complete his work with the nation of Israel in the future, in the end times. God will restore the nation of Israel. But there's encouragement for us in this as well. For even though we are part of Christ's church and we are part of the church age, he is our salvation. And, and that is what the Lord wanted to remind the nation of Israel of way back then when they were in this difficult time. And that is what the Lord wants to remind us of this morning as well, that he is our salvation. That no matter how crazy the COVID virus might get, and it, and it might continue, right? We, we don't know what the next weeks look like. But the one thing that we do know is that God is in control and that we can trust him every step of the way. Let me close our time this morning and, and speak to, to those of you who might have just randomly turned on to our website this morning and, and seen this live stream and, and seen this weird guy that you've never seen before speaking in what looks like a church with a cross in the background. And perhaps you've never truly grasp the significance of what the Christian faith is. And when you hear someone, maybe you've heard someone say, oh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? Please listen and, and, and hear what I am about to say. Because the gospel message is, is the greatest news ever. And as, and as terrible as the COVID virus is, and it is a terrible thing, there is something much more terrible that is coming. Because the, the COVID virus, yes, it, 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 it can take a life. It can take a human life right here, right now. In different parts of the world, it, it is doing that. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he said this in 
In Luke 12, 5, he said, But I will show you whom to fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You see, as terrible as the COVID virus is and that it can, in the end, lead to death, it's, it's not the same death that sin leads to. And that for any that do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, for those that die in their sins without someone, without the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the only one, without someone trusting in him, they will, they will die and they will spend a Christless eternity in torment and suffering. And yet God in his grace has made a way. That, that's what the cross represents. That Jesus came and he was fully God and he was fully man. He lived a perfect life. And he came and he, and he died upon the cross. Not for his sins because he had no sins. His blood was shed as a payment for those of us that would trust in him. And all of us need a savior. Because God's word says that the wages of sin is death. But it also says that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Lord. And Peter in 2 Peter 3.9, he, he says it like this. The Lord is, is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but is being patient towards you, because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Why, why is God holding back? He's holding back so that more can hear the gospel and respond. The reason why you are here this morning, listen to this. Listening to this is because God wants you to understand that he has made a way. And the way for you to find salvation, to be saved from your sins, is to trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Just as he said, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Would you trust in him this morning? Would you confess to him? That you are a sinner. And then if it, it was up, if it was up to you, that you would spend all of eternity paying for your sin, the punishment for your sin, and, and you would have to do that in hell. But because of what Jesus Christ did, you are trusting in him. Would you ask the Lord this morning to save you? Would you trust in him? And if you would do that this morning, would you please contact us? I don't, you, you might be even out of state. You, you can still contact us. You can email me at Pastor Jason at ranchobaptistchurch.org, or you can go to our website at Rancho Baptist Church and you can leave, you could call, you could leave a message, or you can send an email to, to one of the pastors, to me or one of the other ones. For we would love to keep in contact with you. Now, for those among our body, I would encourage you to go back and look at Isaiah 46 throughout the rest of this week. 
and soak in the truths of Isaiah 46, that our God is in control and he can be trusted. And allow that God-centered perspective to become more and more of your thoughts and the ways that you think. So that ultimately we might worship him in the midst of this trial. Let me close our time in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We exalt you for your wonderful word, for the encouragement that it is, that you are indeed like no other, and that you are trustworthy. Lord, help us to trust you more. We need you to help us to trust you more, as it is so easy for us to get our eyes off of you and onto the craziness all around us. Help us to trust you more. For it's in Jesus Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Hey, if, if any of you need anything, please reach out. Email one of the pastors or elders. Our, our emails are on the, on, the email, on the emails that we've been sending. Please, if, if you need more encouragement, come to some of the fireside chats. You can, you can look at the couple that have already been done. Walking through Psalm 23 and the encouragement it is that the Lord is our shepherd, that he goes before us, that he guides us with a strong hand and that he leads us in a loving relationship with him. Thank you for being a part of, of our time together this morning. May we now go and worship him together in our homes. Goodbye.